Blog Talk Radio. edition of the show tonight. Uh, we have a great store for you all. Uh, allow me to say, you could have been anywhere in the world. Still here with us, and we appreciate the patronage. Again, this is RSG Renegade Radio, brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions. On the rocks in Rockford, Illinois, 
XL Academics and Frederick Accounting. All guests and hosts will appear via the Frederick Accounting Gateway. Frederick Accounting is the official accountant of the Renegades. We have another slamming show for you tonight. Thank you for listening to our podcast, subscribing to our podcast. Again, this is The Real Sports Guys, therealsportsguys.com. I am your host, Marcus the Game Changer, and one-third of the illustrious three-man booth. Allow me to bring in the other members of the illustrious three-man booth. To my right, I got my man D. Wills. Holler at the people. I'm feeling good tonight. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about. Um, but more importantly, I'm excited to get the group back together. You know, we holding it together. There's no Jerry Hellers in this group. We ain't worried about that. <laughs> Nobody affecting the dynamics. We just trying to make it happen, and I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> Love it, man. Love it. Love it. So we we got we got a great show in store. I'm gonna get into that in a second, but before we get that whole thing rolling, let me bring in my man Phil T Sports P A Z. What's happening, Captain? Happy to be here. So happy to be here. Looking forward to the show, fellas. Yeah, it's been a minute since we had the triumvirate back together. You know, the big three hasn't sat down in a minute. You know, summertime is our time to kind of recharge the battery, uh, get back into it, you know, go into the lab, conjure up some new ideas. You know, back in the day, artists used to take, like, you know, 18 months to 24 months in between projects before they dropped. It wasn't like today where Cass is dropping an album every year. Back in the day, you know, you put some time into it. You went on tour for a little bit. You experienced life a little bit. You, you recharge your creative battery. And so that's what we do during the summertime. Uh, we'll hit you off with some one mics and, and and some guest appearances. You know, we had Justin Page in um, a while back. Eric Hamilton joined us this summer as well. So, you know, we'll have some of our some of our, uh, our renegade family jump in and sit in with us during the summer um, so you can catch up with them. They can drop some knowledge on you. But uh, now you got the uh, the original. The OGs are in the house, and we're about to lay it down one time for you tonight on the podcast. Again, you're listening to The Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio, brought to you by Resistance Digital. This portion of the show is known worldwide as the intro to let them know. This is where we give you a rundown of what we have in store for you tonight. Uh, it's our promise to you that we will hit these topics during our 90 Minutes of Funk uh, tonight we will start off with a long and in-depth conversation about the NW, uh, the NWA biopic straight out of Compton. There's so much. We've all seen it, uh, you know, something we've all been waiting on. So we, we just got to sit down and chop it up. And this is something that, you know, I'm sure has happened to the listeners out there with friends and family already, but you haven't had a chance to chop it up with the sports guy. So that's what we're going to do. Then we're going to – Get into some NFL talk. Uh, we're going to talk uh, AFC, NFC, uh, talking about which teams we think make the, made the biggest jumps this offseason, um, what storylines we're interested in uh, following as the season starts, and then we're going to give you some predictions of our division winners, our conference champions, and then we're going to finish off tonight with our Super Bowl predictions. So that's what we have in store for you, ladies and gentlemen. So we are going to go ahead with no further ado and get into what we do. All right. So, fellas, straight out of Compton, the NWA biopic, man, this movie, we've been waiting on it for a while. And it's it's a movie that on a lot of levels is relevant, even though it's 
it's about a time 25-plus years ago, almost 30 years ago, um, it is very much relevant to where we are today as a society when we talk about race relations with police, um, the impact of art, um, hip-hop as an art form itself, the impact of art socially, um, the the stress and deprivation within African-American communities across the country. It just it gets at so many things, and it hits at it in a very, very, very poignant and relevant way. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a picture that even though it's about a small group of people, it encompasses the experiences of a whole generation. And, you know, each of us were at different points in our life um, during the time period of this particular movie. Um, so I'm going to start with D. Wills. And I want, I, want to, I want to just give me your general vibe and your, the level of anticipation, because I know you've been waiting on this, the level of anticipation you had to see this movie. Break it down for the people. You know, it was, you know, I, when, you know, when movies like Selma came out or JFK came out or other kinds of movies, I would talk to folks a little older than me and, and couldn't understand the emotions that were there. You know, uh, you know, our relationship, all three of us go way back and I've been taking students to Selma, Alabama, for a long time, and you hear the stories. We walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. You, you kind of understand, the, like, the context of the time. And this this was, like, the first movie that, for me, it, that really spoke to, you know, really a, a major part of my development in my life. And so when it came out, you know, I'm not a person that goes to movies, but I was already ready to be there. It was one of those things that's very few movies in, I think, in the last 10, 15 years where i like, I'm going to watch this in the theater, I'm going to be an opening mic night cat, and I'm going to be sitting there with anticipation. It was so bad that my daughter and my wife, I was sitting there on my phone playing everything I could watch on it. The, all the, um, uh, the uh, interviews, and they couldn't wait for me to go watch the movie. So that was kind of how it was for <laughs> me. I think I drove my family crazy um, because I could not uh, sustain myself. Uh, because I, I understood the importance of this film, and um, particularly with Ice Cube and folks on the project, I knew it was going to be good. And so uh, it, it, it kind of elicited a lot of emotions because it was at a very important time of my own personal development. Okay. So uh, let's talk about that. Where were you kind of and, and what – frame of mind or frame of development, that stage of development you were in when all of these events took place and when NWA experiences rise to, to fame? Well, I, you know, I was in college in my 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 early years in college. I was young, you know, in my early 20s. Um, and I think it's important for people to understand, you know, at the point when this album came out, um, you know, the, the 80s were – you know, people living in urban environments, particularly black community, was under siege from federal policies. You're talking about um, welfare reform. You're talking about uh, war on drugs. You're talking about – and all that was aimed, for the most part, in urban environments. You, say, uh, you know, say no to drugs, all that stuff, all that campaign. And so there was this – so there was this energy um, 
that was happening, you know, um, you know, Reaganomics was not good for everybody. And then you have a, a third term of the same kind of policies with the first Bush. And so you, you got the context of that time in which, for me, I'm going to college in, 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 in a time when people just didn't have a lot, feel like there was a response to it. And um, at the same time, I was also a DJ. And so, you know, I came through um, – as someone who was, you know, you know, listening, in, you know, to Run DMC, you know, start Curtis Blow in 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 Grandmaster uh, 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 Flash, and uh, they they talked about these issues, but in a way that were, was much different. And so, you know, this this this, this year we talk about this album, but if you think about this year, you know, in particular just being a DJ, think about the albums that came out that year at the time that album came out. So I, this is just a quick list that I want to hit you with. You had EPMD Strictly Business, Big Daddy Kane. You had Easy Does It came out the first time. You had Biz Marquee going off. You had Eric B and uh, Rakim, Follow the Leader. You had Slick Rick, The Great Adventures of Slick Rick. BDP came out with By Any Means Necessary. Ice-T came out with Power. MC Light came out with Album. Run DMC came out with Tougher Than Leather. DJ Jazzy Jeff and The Fresh Prince came out. He's the DJ. I'm the rapper. You had Audio 2 coming out. You had Rob Bass. You had two live crew. You had two short. You had just that list alone is an impressive list. But then you had these two other seminal albums come out. So then you had you had you had at the same time the album that hit and hit people hard was Public Enemy takes a million. And then they dropped this album at, and, and most of the stuff was distributed through college radio. So I'm DJing college radio. Then NWA comes out and and. And when you're in college radio, you got all the music first. And for me, it was like I had never heard anything about it, but we couldn't play it. So the only time we could play it was at 2 o'clock in the morning. We had a show called Step Into the AM, which was one of the first hip-hop shows in the area. But we couldn't play the music. So we, the only time we could play the music was at 2 in the morning. So we played the entire album at 2 in the morning. And I remember a lady calling us from the highway saying, can you guys play this music on the air? But it was so hard. Hitting. I, I just recently listened to the album with just the clean version. And the clean version is harder than most people's stuff they give today. So it was it's something and I just I was charged to play it and share it. So for me, it was uh it was the first time, you know, F the police was such a at the time a response to something that people never had a response to. You know, Public Enemy had a way to do it, but this was like, we're just going to kick the door down. And so uh, for someone growing up in, in their young 20s, feeling like there's just a lot going on, you know, having friends who are going through issues, um, it was something that gave us voice, and we spent a lot of late nights listening to that music. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's like time traveling right yeah. there. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I really appreciate that. I want to bring PhD in. Because, um, you know, you were at an even different point, right? You even had a different point in your development. In your development. Devon was uh, early 20s in college when his album dropped. And that list, Devon, was incredible. Like, just, uh, like, I hadn't that's, really that's thought like about that. That's like the 84 track. Yeah. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And so just the just the impact of standing out amongst that group of peers it, it speaks 
volumes about how impactful the album was and, and the group was during that era. Now, PhD, you were at a different stage of development. Let's talk about that. Where were you at as far as your development as a young person um, when this when NWA rose to fame? Well, um, so I was I was much younger. I was like ten, eleven, twelve when Straight Outta Compton came out. Straight Outta Compton came out, I believe, in eighty seven, eighty eight. So that would have put me at 10 or 11 years old. And at the time, I had no clue about who NWA was. Now, to listen to music in our house, in the Thompson house, uh, you weren't going to be listening to stuff on the stereo that had explicit lyrics in it. I mean, it just was not going to happen. Um, so I really didn't get into NWA until I saw Boys in the Hood. Um, and I saw Boys in the Hood two or three years later. I was probably 13 or 14 at the time. Uh, Boys in the Hood, I believe, came out in 91, 92-ish. Uh, so that, you know, I would have been like 14 or so. And I remember watching the VCR tape or, or, or watching the, the movie on VCR at a friend's house, okay? And I kind of knew who Ice Cube was at that time, Um so I have a brother that is eight or nine years older than me. So when NWA was out and also when Ice Cube was starting to do his his single, his solo thing, I remember my brother, you know, when he would come home for Christmas or on the holidays from college, he'd have the cassette tapes of, like, um, Ice Cube, America's Most Wanted, and America's spelled with three Ks, KKK. Um I remember listening to that tape so much. Uh, and, and, again, in my house, you know, you had to play that pretty low, so you know, so your parents wouldn't hear it. And, uh, yeah, Ice Cube at the time was was this storyteller, um, different than the 80s store storytellers like Slick Rick, Dana Dane. Ice Cube kind of told his story you know, um, I mean, it had this West Coast flavor. It was so different. It was more mellow, but it was hard. Um, and you could tell that, you know, I mean, Dr. Dre is a genius of the whole thing. I mean, that came through in the movie. It was kind of like, okay, I'm down with it. Dre's down with it. And I think for a while, like, we've all recognized that Dr. Dre was kind of like this, you know, just, like he, like, he knows quality, but this movie, for me, showed me just Dre's genius and how the group valued his genius. And even the execs valued him in terms of, okay, all these guys have skills, but you really need Dre to really pull it all together. Um, so by the time I was in high school, I knew all about Ice Cube. I knew all about NWA. I was able to bump it in my car and everything else. Um, but, you know, at the time, it was almost like, so new addition. Everybody knew Bobby Brown. Easy e was the biggest star at NWA. Mm-hmm. And... You know, watching the movie, it helped re- remind me or even let me know that, hey, Ice Cube was only there in the beginning. And he left the group pretty early on. 
Um, I didn't realize at the time that Eazy-E had the executive role that he had, but, you know, I just remember some of Eazy-E's single stuff or maybe it was the later NWA stuff. You know, Eazy-E was like the guy. Um, so that's my recollection of NWA, pretty much sneaking to listen to them at home or, you know, some of my friends got a tape at church with a Walkman. Oh, gosh, we listened to NWA in church. My goodness. Um <laughs> But I mean, that's just how we got it in back then, man. I, I feel you. I feel you. And again, I appreciate you. In the Lord, in the Lord, <laughs> right. right? Okay. So, right. So we got you know we got Devon who is in, in his college years in, in in a small town in Wisconsin, a blue collar city in Wisconsin, in his college years, and the reach has gotten to him. As a, as a young adult, and you got PhD growing up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, as an early teenager, and the the impact got to him. At this time, you know, when the album came out, I'm seven, eight years old, Chicago, Illinois, Southside, Robert Taylor Holmes, one of the most notorious projects in Chicago is where I grew up. And so I remember... And it was one of those weird things. And I have a lot of these moments as a kid because being the oldest of five kids and five boys, I always kind of had to be hyper aware of my surroundings because I had the responsibility of looking out for my younger siblings. And so that awareness also made me very in tune to, like, picking up on, on, on social cues. You know, I've always prided myself now as an adult, I kind of pride myself on being able to walk into a room and assess the norms and the values of the particular room and how I fit into that, um, and then using that, trying to use that to my advantage however I see fit, you know what I mean? And so I think I learned that as a, as, a, as being a firstborn and being in a very um, an environment where you had to stay on your toes. Um, and so I picked up a lot of things through osmosis, um, by just being observant of what was going on because there was there wasn't there was no way my mother, who was a very um diligent parent, there was no way she could filter all the things that we were being exposed to because of the environment we lived in. Um and I remember in this with NWA in particular, there was a very it was almost like when that album came out like the air in my in in my, in my building changed, right? It was like the day before it came out, that Monday before it dropped, the color of the sky was yellow. Came back, that album was out. The next day, the color of the sky was red, and it just changed the whole vibe of the environment in a way that's really hard to put into words. The song. The song, straight out of Compton, Boys in the Hood, they were blasting out of apartments. All of the porches, you just heard it everywhere. Again, I, I didn't buy my first tape personally until I was about 11, 12 years old. But I had heard those songs over and over and over. And so having older cousins and older uncles who my mom was in a family of 14, she was the second youngest, and so I had she, she had I had cousins who were older than or around my mom's age or 
in their early teens, early 20s around your age, D. Wills, at the time. And so they had access to this stuff. You know, so listening to what they were listening to, listening to what the guys around the neighborhood were listening to, this was something different. And you can tell it was different by how people responded to it when they heard it. I mean, I had watched people play a record before. I watched people listen to music before. But when people listen to N.W.A., their whole personal vibe switched up. <laughs> like, it was like their staying switched. You know what I mean? If their arms was down, when the song came on, their arms locked immediately. You know what I'm saying? It was just one of those things that when you watched how it changed how people saw themselves. It was ridiculous. You know, and then, you know, the messages, the 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 way they talked about violence, the way they used violence in their art to get people's attention, the way they used, you know, anti-establishment language to get people's attention was was it was something that again takes a nation um, came out at the same time, and you had those that two that that juxtaposition between PE's message and NWA's message, um, both coming at the same target, both shooting at the same target, but with different weapons. Um, so you know, I just remember being a kid and, and literally when that album came out. And it was something that I just filed away in my mind, not knowing why, but it's something that I filed away that when that, and I remember how after I started hearing those songs, you know, the Easy e songs, the, the NWA songs, things just kind of changed. And I really couldn't put the change into words because I, did, I didn't have the language at that time being seven, eight years old, but I, I know neighborhood felt different. Things felt different. It changed my environment. And this is South Side Chicago, which is miles and miles away from Compton, um, as far as geographically. But as far as the experience goes, I'm sure it was very similar. So I want to come back to you, uh, D. Wills. Think about the idea of F the police and, and the movie itself, right? So, you know, we know where we were when the when the actual album dropped in our in reality and how we felt about it. How did you feel about the movie? What were some of the highlights of the movie that you enjoyed? What were some th- and what did what did it get you thinking about as you reflected upon your experience as it related to the movie? D. Wills. So there were some things I would say even before the movie that just um, and, and and you got to really take a step back to think about it. I mean, if you've had a chance to watch. Um, you know, O'Shea Jackson Jr. and O'Shea, O'Shea Jackson Sr. talk about it, that that, that relationship between them um, and what you hope for the next generation is a whole other issue that, like, kind of got me psyched about watching the movie um, in the way in which um, you can see that bond between them, um, uh, which, which is – and so when I watched the movie, that, you know, that kind of got me going. What, what I loved about it is – um, usually a, a biopic like this is just a story about the person. But what I, the one thing I, I loved about this, and, and they, they talked about it's Compton as an actor, and I would say even the Times as an actor. Things were, they did a really good job of, of talking about this stuff in context. So, um, you know, I love the Detroit scene because that's, you know, for us from Michigan, it's close to home. But if you understood politics at the time in Detroit at that time and, just the, the, the relationship between 
uh, urban and rural in Detroit is still prevalent today, and just the the energy of that of that scene and and what it brought to and then what was created between their interaction with law enforcement uh, was was incredible. But also the emotion, you know, their music was so hard, but the story unpacked a lot of the emotion behind them, and you know, Dre using his, losing his brother and just the emotional energy behind it. And then I think another person that people got a little taste of, but I think it's really important to understand the role he played, and you kind of see it as kind of the backdrop, is DLC. And y'all know I've talked about this a lot. But the role of it, and this is a small part, but for me, um, I was really looking at how they're going to, you know, really talk about his role in relation to the group. This is a guy that goes through a lot of stuff, but he might have had one of the best productions that Dre's done. And then, you know, the accident that he got in, but his, his influence behind the scenes was something that was really important for me because I think this is an artist that we really didn't get a chance to see flourish. Uh, but his album, another way in which Dre really leveraged some things. So like one of the best verses that, you know, so as I was watching this, I'm thinking about this uh, in, in DLC's album is the grand finale. And Easy's verse in that is one of the sickest verses I've ever heard. But but this whole concept of the last song, and so you could see that how they were changing music, they're changing the way you structure an album as a story. I mean, all that stuff, watching that stuff come together, their thinking around that um, was incredible. And then Suge Knight, you know, that role in the way and Suge played, and Dre, <laughs> and not really understanding how Dre was viewed in that relationship. Dre wasn't no real punk in that relationship, but Dre was always thinking. Uh, where Suge was punking a lot of folks, but it wasn't like it didn't appear like he was punking Dre. And to to watch that dynamic uh, was uh, important to me. And obviously the story of Easy E, you know, who I think doesn't get a credit for being a genius around understanding branding. Like he was as much. Uh, I love the scene about when he told them all wear black. But his his really his understanding of how to create a brand early on is something that I think um, the stuff he brought to business is something that people need to appreciate. Absolutely, and, and, and again, those are some interesting, uh, some very interesting things. And the DOC piece, I knew that was something because you, you know, you've gotten me to go back and check DOC. You know what I mean? Like I was, eh, who's the DOC dude? You just keep pumping up. You know what I mean? And I'm going back and check some of his stuff because of you. Um, so. I knew that that would be. I knew that that would be something that you kind of, uh, kind of got into. Now, what I want to bring this kind of forward a little bit. I want to follow. I got a follow up question for you, D. Wills. So, you know, we got the whole Meek Mills Drake situation kind of going on in the full, in the background of this, of, of the dropping of this movie, and the issue of ghostwriting in hip hop. Um, and whether or not Drake writes his own rhymes. And then in this movie, it's very evident that Easy E ain't writing and Dre ain't writing. You know what I mean? And you got DOC, you got Ice Cube, and you got Ren doing most of the pinning um for these guys. But at the time, how was that how was that viewed at that time? Like was that something that was viewed or or was that something that was known? You, you know, I think 
back then, because you also got to talk about group versus individual. You know, back then, you gave props to so many more other things. You know, writing for, for hip-hop artists was a lot like how rock and roll guys wrote or, you know, R&B. You know, people always shared in the creative process. It was all about putting together the product. And I think what that is a reflection of is this idea of individualism versus collectivism. You know, what they cared about is putting out the best product, didn't care who did it. But everybody had a role. You know, Easy had a role. Dre had a role. And so I, back then, if you look at it, you know, um, in, in the names of some of the groups and the people who just went back together, you know, think about Two Live Crew. Think about Rob Bass. Think about some of these. They, they always did it collectively, right? And so writing was a shared process, right? It was people in the studio giving stuff back and forth. So I never really understood why that was a problem in this beef. You know, it, it's always been a part of the creative process uh, to produce the best product. And so it's the difference. At some point, we went to this kind of individualism where we lost the DJ, we lost the concept of the group, we lost the co- collective concept to this more individualized concept, which is false in the first place. And so I think it just reflects, you know, uh, the lack of understanding. When you hear KRS-One and them talk about um, albums, you know, they could t- they were playing live instruments. You know, one scene with Dre is playing uh, – playing the piano. I mean, you hear Chaos One talking about or, or Big Daddy Kane or someone talking about, they were like, you know, Bob John played the trumpet on that. <laughs> you know, not just not just sampling, but they approached it like like the Rolling Stones approached putting together their album. Yeah, cause, and, and that's something that cause a lot of times you hear old heads, old school guys coming at new school guys saying, oh, y'all need to write your own this. Or, you know, and, and then to see an old school group, the the old school group, you know what I'm saying, and to see Ghost Riders, that was like a moment where I was like, wait a minute. Now, most of the time, it's the old head in the room talking about, you got to write your own rhymes. And so the, the evolution of that, like where it went from the collectivism of it to at some point it got switched and the conversation changed to, now, as as the, the MC got a got a, cause I, I, and this is just my observation. I think it was the hammers and the vanilla ices. Once it became a a, once the money became to to a point where it, the once the capitalism got involved, it seemed like that mentality switched because you had people without skills genuine skills and who hadn't paid, because that's where I came up. I came up in the pay pay your dues era, where if you hadn't grinded, if you couldn't battle, if you couldn't freestyle, if you wasn't writing your own lyrics, you wasn't an MC. That's the era that I was schooled to. And so I think Hammer and, you know, kind of the bubblegum rap precursors to that that era kind of turned people off and pushed the conversation and pushed the art in a whole different direction because people were tired of people without uh, the ability to write their own stuff, without the ability to get into a cypher and battle and spit, becoming megastars in the genre um, because they had the 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 business and the, the industry machine behind them. What is your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I would add, I mean, part of it is, so so you had to write something. But I think what changed the dynamics on this group particularly is that, you know, 
up until that point, so Dre was a DJ, right? So Dre was like Jam Master J, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, he was a DJ, but at some point they wanted him to take the mic, right? You know, but, you know, but most of the DJs set the beat now seen as producers, right? They were the one organizing it, and then there was a point where they wanted him to get on, right, for it. So there was some writing, but he still was doing the production behind the scenes, right? You know, Easy, as we see in the movie, he really didn't want to do it. You know, he was like, what did he say? He wanted to be the Barry Gordy of the year, right? So he got kind of put in there. So usually, yeah, people always wrote, like Ren wrote, right? They, most of the MCs wrote, but, but there wasn't uncommon, I think, for people to be in a creative process where somebody was adding something, you were in the studio doing it more collect. And do you do that kind of work? Like, are you spending that time in the studio versus somebody is sending you something and you just going in and dropping it? Like, are you involved in the creative process? And I think you're right with the Vanilla Ice and some of the other stuff where people involved in the creative process of developing that stuff. That wasn't always true. But I, I would say that people were in there. I think what changes this one a little bit is that the role that Dre had, would have played that was previous was where, you know, Jam Master J was, right? He he would have just been behind the scenes putting the beat, you know, chiming in every once in a while, but they wanted him to be an integral part of the delivery. So he was stepping out of his box. So, you know, so I, I think that's what that's how they changed the game a little bit. But, but some of these people have swung the pendulum all the way over to the right. Yeah. Let me ask you. you. Know, in what was – what was DJ Yeller's role? <laughs> what did he <laughs> do? Well, it, it's, it's interesting because that was a part of the history. I, I didn't understand him as much. But when you see the fact that, you know, they started out um, working together, you know, in a, you know, you had these DJ crews, right, working together in the club and being part of that as DJs, you know, they had that shared experience then, you know, you see him helping out on the production side. So it's almost kind of having your cat as like your your assistant cornerman, right? You know, if you Freddie Pacheco, I mean, uh, you Freddie Roach, you know, you got your assistant trainer, right? In a, yeah, that, but they both working on preparing for the fight. And then it was interesting how that role changed at some point because then Dre was doing more out front and Yella was doing more to DJ and behind the scene as they evolved as a group. But, you know, he was, you know, he was part of that, that – that previous group they were part of where it was more focused on DJing where you had those crews and parties that they were both DJs and that, and that was helping on the production side. And I, I, that was a part of the story that I didn't quite understand until I watched the movie. Yeah. We, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going, we're going to keep this NWA conversation going. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG Renegade Radio, brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions. Make sure you hit up our guy, LR, at Resistance Digital. Uh, Resistance Digital will help you get all of your tech needs met at a very, very low and economical price. LR is great with the service. He will even do in-home installations, do a, ha- do a house call, old school, like the 1950s doctor and everything. So make sure you hit up our man, LR, Larry Randall at Resistance Digital Solutions. Uh, make sure you check him out. We'll be back in a moment.
welcome back. Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSV Renegade Radio. We are back in the house and back in full effect. Uh, we are in the midst of our NWA conversation. Uh, Drop the little boys in the hood instrumental for you guys for the break. Man, that, that scene in the movie <laughs> was hilarious. I don't know about you guys. I was highly entertained with that particular scene. PAZ, I want to pull you into the conversation. You saw the movie. Uh, what was the vibe like in the theater? What were your thoughts on just kind of the whole atmosphere, and how did you feel about the movie? I liked the movie. The vibe in the theater was uh, uh, just a lot of head nodding, um, just just kind of zoning out to the music. Um, for me, the movie was very educational because I didn't know many of the backstories. Clearly, it's told from certain people's perspective, you know, um, Ice Cube was part of the production team, um, Easy E's uh, Will, I believe, was also part of the uh, producing team as well. Um, so one person that was not shining the best of lights was Suge Knight. And it's, it's very clear that Suge Knight... Um, had zero involvement <laughs> in this movie. There was not a shred of positive. Uh, for a while, you know, early on, it's like, okay, Dre needs to get out of his contract. Okay, Shook, sure, gonna figure this out. But then, you know, the way that they kind of show, the way, the way that Shook is portrayed made me question why we call D-Wheels Shook Knight without the anger management problems. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that may not be the best fit there. Um, but he doesn't have those anger issues. That's what I'm saying. Like, he's he's about his business. He's going to put us in the right situation, and we ain't got to worry about getting stomped out. Right. <laughs> I mean, That's why I think it's like... on point. That's why I think it's on point. <laughs> the, 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 scene with, the scene with the pit bull, I was like, they said that's validated. Woo. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I really liked the movie. Also, it gave me more um, more, more meat behind Eazy-E, and I wasn't sure if he had died, um, you know, uh, like he was HIV positive or if that was just something that was going around at the time in terms of a rumor. I really didn't know until watching this movie is like, oh I I remember hearing something about that because Bone Bone Thugs Harmony had just came out around that time and they was blowing up and everybody I think Easy E may have been in their first video and it was clear that Easy E, you know, kinda of discovered them or was, you know, really supporting them through their first release. But then he died. Um the whole situation with the manager. Watching this movie helped really helped me understand a lot of these battle raps, you know, I mean, Ice Ice Cube, the No Vaseline, that's one of the best battle raps ever. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he he came hard at him. And then you look at the video of, um, you know, Dre, I think it was Dre Day maybe? Where, Dre Day, yep, Dre Day, got, yep. Yeah, where you got Easy walking around the office of this white guy. And at the time, I didn't really understand who he was. But now I understand that's Jerry Hiller. So there's a lot of additional background there that at the time I just thought it was a funny video. 
But now you understand the history behind a lot of this stuff, man. And, I mean, these cats were were just brilliantly creative back in the day where they could, even in videos that would come on BET or MTV where they could not use profanity, they still got, a, like, they still got across communicating and expressing themselves in a very clear way, even though it had to be PG-13 to be on MTV and BET. And I think that's one of the things where if you listen to people talk about quote-unquote gangster rap, they don't give these artists enough credit for just the overall skill that they have as an artist. And looking at this as a grown man now and understanding just the context of some of these things, it really made me appreciate how creative they were. Um, and these cats just wanted to get on. They just wanted to get on, man. Like they weren't, like they weren't as business savvy as some of the artists are now. And to me, these guys, man, like you look at Dre, you look at um, uh, Ice Cube. These guys had to be in the game for ten years before they started really doing things on their own. And they were making dimes on the dollar, man, because they just had whack deals. So, I mean, these guys in a lot of ways are like trailblazers, and I really didn't give them credit for that until I saw the movie. Excellent points all the way around. A couple of points I want to touch on on that you raised, Suge, and Suge's character. You're right. Suge Knight had nothing to do with <laughs> with the putting out of this movie. Like, you could tell, you know, and then some of the critiques that have come out uh, have talked about some of the things that were left out, um, some experiences and some very pivotal things that were left out, and you could tell that they were left out because the people who it would have looked negatively upon were directly involved in putting the movie out, right? Um, as you said, sure, had nothing to do with it. Didn't, I, I guarantee, and I'm, 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 I'm going to just ask a quick question. I know, and just yes or no, did you feel like when Suge was, like, trying to help Dre, he was like, Dre, don't do it. <laughs> That's Suge. Because <laughs> we know. We know how to end it up, right? We know Suge. Like, I've never known a nice Suge Knight, right? <laughs> the kinder, gentler Suge Knight that, that you kind of saw at the beginning was like, no, nah, he's playing you. Don't mess with Suge. Don't mess with Suge. Like, I was like, is that supposed to be Suge? Oh, that's Suge? Oh, stay away from Suge. Oh, you friends with Suge? Oh, my God, that's not going to end well. That's Suge Knight. <laughs> Don't you know who that is? No, they didn't know who he was at that time. Um, so that's my that was my reaction in the theater to Suge. When he was kind of beginning to work with Suge, I was like, oh, boy, this is not going to go Because <laughs> you kind of know who Suge is. You know what I mean? So I'm, how did you guys feel about that particular interaction? Yes or no? Were you, uh, were you trying to warn, like, Dre... <laughs> That Shug. No, no, that was just me. Alright. <laughs> yeah, it's just you. I was I was giving Suge a whole lot of credit. I'm like, okay, Suge trying to help. <laughs> See, and I saw that too and I was like, Oh, Suge trying to be helpful. But wait a minute, no, that's Suge Knight. He ain't trying to be that helpful. He gonna he gonna do some Suge Knight type stuff in a minute. Um and and you mentioned the another point you raised was the ice cube battle rap and no Vaseline and how that that has to be one of the best, if not the best, battle rap. And the scene where they're sitting in the room and they're listening to this and they got the girls <laughs> in there and the whole band is around and he goes in one by one and is just getting at them. And he just, 
when you got when you doing when you spitting like that and you got the guys you talking about sitting around looking at each other like what we gonna do about that? <laughs> you won. <laughs> you won. When you got the girls in the room who came to kick it with them, laughing at them while they're in the room with them, you won. <laughs> you know what I mean? You won. Like that was that was. You got them. You got them. And and that that's something that I think you know. For me, that's always a litmus test with a battle rap. Is does the other person feel compelled to answer? Right. When you listen to it. Are you like, oh, snap, if this is me, i got to say something now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, again, mm-hmm. to, bring it, to bring it forward and, and talk about some of the things, you know, Kendrick Lamar had the verse on Control, another guy out of Compton. He had the Control verse that he had on on that on uh, Big Sean's album. And, again, that was something that when people heard it, guys raced to respond. So that's how you – that's that litmus test, like – did you get me? Like, did, if you, if I feel like you got me, I got to say something back. If I could walk away from it or take five or six days before I respond, <laughs> Meek Mills, um, then maybe you didn't get me, Drake, as bad as you thought I as as you thought you did. You know what I mean? And so you can always tell, you know, when Jay and 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 Nas were going back and forth, you knew kind of it was going to come on the album because of who they were and the way hip-hop was at that time, the internet wasn't as facilitative for releasing things and getting things out. There wasn't a Twitter. There wasn't a Facebook. You know, there wasn't even a MySpace at that time. I mean, you had Black Planet. (laughs) Right now, it was a little shady. (laughs) As far as social networking goes, you know what I'm saying? So it wasn't that type of environment where you could – so you had to wait for the album um, before you could hear – and Jay and Nas, from a business perspective, knew that you need to put it on the album, send people buy the album, where now albums aren't as pivotal as they were back then. But you knew when they came at each other that there was going to be a response. You know, when Jay dropped Takeover, you knew Nas had to come back, and then Ether, and it was just, okay. And then there was there was Super Ugly, you know, when Jay dropped that in between. So there was all of these shots, you know, thrown at each other. That makes a good battle, and that was what was great. And you're right, PhD. At the time, you know, I'm watching Easy the the fake Easy Eat dance in the Dre Day video, and I'm like, what is it? Why you got wrong with Easy? Now I know, you know. And I learned right. over time, you know. I kind of caught right. the backstory as time went on, but at the time, I was just like, what is this all about? It's funny, you know. He making he getting easy, <laughs> but what is this all about? So, you know, there was a lot of light shed on things, and. You know, again, it was told through the eyes of Dre and through the eyes of Easy's Widow and and um, Ice Cube. I think one thing that I took from it was, you know, and, and me and my wife, I went and saw with my wife, and leaving the theater, I asked her, and I told her I would pose this question to you guys on air tonight. So I'm a, I'm a, I want to close the conversation with this particular question. There is to be another, because I thought this one was, I thought this one was the one. Like, I don't think they should. I don't think you really can do another um, biopic about um, a, a hip hop group because I don't think another hip hop group spawned the uh, superstars that this one did. Easy, again, when the group was the group, Easy was the guy. 
in the group. He was the front man. Then Dre branched out and became Dre. And Ice Cube became Ice Cube. And they continued to evolve. And, you know, you got kids, you know, who had wearing, the white kids wearing Beaked by Dre that don't even own a Dre CD. You know what I'm saying? They don't even own a song by Dre. You know, they they don't even, they don't know that Dre. And you have, you know, Ice Cube, who's this, you know, actor, you know, mogul, who's done all these other things. And people don't remember how hardcore Ice Cube and how militant Ice Cube was, you know, back in America's Most Wanted, Predator, those days. He wasn't, you know, the Are We There Yet. He wasn't the guy from Are We There Yet, you know, and he definitely wasn't Craig. And he was he was even a step harder than Doughboy, you know what I'm saying? So they don't understand that. So the question is, what group, what hip-hop artist group would you want to see put into a movie next? I'll start with you, PhD. Oh, man. Which artist or group would I want to see put into a movie next? Um... Wow. You know, I have to go with Jodeci. Jodeci has been mm. a group, when I was younger, they had potential to be as big as, say, Boys to Men. But they stopped. And they had a nice run of four or five years, putting out three classics, in my opinion. Um, the last one being the sh- what is the show, The After Party in the Hotel. Um, I was always curious what happened to them, and they just dropped an album, you know, early this year, the first one in 15 years. I'd love to see what happened to them. Now, Jodeci may deserve, like, a VH1 movie, um, kind of like TLC just had one, but I was, uh, you know, I was always curious what happened to Jodeci. Uh, you know what, that's 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 a, that's an excellent pick, actually. I, I like that pick. I like that because again, there was, and and when because when they resurfaced, right, there was a couple of times where they showed up at the BET Awards and it was like, oh, Jodeci's back, and it was like, wait a minute, what happened? <laughs> like they had gone through some things in between the last time we saw them and when they appeared again, right? And we want to know about that, yeah. like laps. What happened in that gap? I feel you. Yeah, I feel you. I like that pick. I like that pick. D. Wills, I will pose a question to you. What other group? Uh, would you like to see a movie made about? Well, I, I think there are two, because I don't think this one was done, but this person was featured in two. Uh, Pac. Tupac. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, I think, and what's interesting, I mean, he's featured in Biggie's, by, you know, bio, and he's featured in this one, but I think he has his own story, which is unique, because he's branded on his, as his West Coast person, but he's really East Coast. And how that all played out, but just he's a complex individual. I mean, I think with the right casting, in the right story, you know, that has the ability to create a ray where the whoever is the actor could be could be nominated for something. I think it's that kind of story. It's a leading actor is big. I think that that right there could be as huge as this with the right people around it. Okay. Okay. 
You listen to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RNC Renegade Radio, uh, brought to you by On the Rocks and Rockford, Illinois. Make sure you hit up our man Craig Stockwell, Rockford, Illinois, uh, at On the Rocks and Rockford, Illinois. Tell them the Real Sports Guys sent you. Make sure you, you check them out. Great food, uh, great music, and great people at On the Rocks in Rockford, Illinois. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back in a moment. Regulators. We regulate any stealing of his property. We're damn good, too. But you can't be any geek off the street. You gotta be handy with the steal, if you know what I mean. Earn you keep. Regulators! Mount up. Welcome back to the Real Sports Guys, where Real Guys Talk Real Sports. RSU Renegade Radio brought to you by Resistance Digital Solution. On the Rocks, Rockford, Illinois, XL Academics. All guests and hosts appear via the Fredericton County Gateway. Fredericton County is the official accountant of the Real Sports Guy. Fellas, it's time to get to talking about the NFL. Preseason is upon us. Many meaningless games are being played, but I will still be watching. How about you? <laughs> So, uh, we're going to do our NFL preview right now. Uh, We're going to get into it. We're going to first start with the NFC. Now, I've issued some questions to the fellas. They've done their research and gathered their data. Uh, They've run the regressions, and they have come back with answers. So, the first question I will pose to the illustrious three-man booth, starting with Ph.D., as we talk about the NFL, we get ready to go into this NFL season. The Seahawks are coming off a Super Bowl victory one NFC championship game with a miraculous comeback against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, those two teams are obviously in the mix. But which team that didn't make the playoffs last year um, do you think will make the biggest jump um, this year or a team that made the playoffs but maybe went out early that you see as possibly putting themselves in position to be a title contender? For me, it's the Detroit Lions in the NFC. And I went back and forth between the Lions and New Orleans. Um, but I think the Lions, man, are, you know, a, they have a year underneath their belt with this new staff. And I think Matthew Stafford is going to have a breakout year. Um, they have a solid number two next to Calvin Johnson. And this team was pretty good last year, but Calvin Johnson missed a handful of games, and even in games he played, he only had one catch and so forth the two or three games. So he, so clearly he wasn't healthy even when he was on the field. Oddly, I think getting rid of uh, Sue is going to help them. Um, they did well in the draft, and, you know, I think that Chicago is going to be horrible this year. Minnesota is going to be horrible this year. And unfortunately, I'm not sure if Green Bay makes the playoffs either. So I think Detroit is a team that's going to win at least 10 games, win that division, 
and um, really make some noise in the playoffs. Wow. No Green Bay not in the playoffs. Mm. That That is a bold prediction, my friend. That is a bold prediction. Yeah. Folks, this way are talking Super Bowl championship. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not even joking. I mean, D. Wilson vouch. Folks out here are talking Super Bowl mm-hmm. in, the, in the great state of cheese. They are talking I'm Super Bowl championship. So that is that is a bold statement, uh, given the propaganda that I'm hearing around these parts. D. Wills, <laughs> which team do you feel makes the biggest jump in 2015-16? So in, in, in the NFC, this is a team I think makes the uh, biggest jump, but they don't make the playoffs. But from where they were last year, um, I think they make the biggest jump. I, I think it's Tampa Bay. You know, I think that um, – there's so many teams in that um, division that are going through some sort of transition, whether it's new coach and everything else. Um, I think uh, offensively, you know, Jameis is, uh, you know, a, a young quarterback who's going to make some rookie mistakes, but I think he's competitive enough to make them, um, to make the plays they need to make. And I think Lovey, you know, in his second year of, of getting his defense to play uh, the right way and getting a running game, I, I just think they'll, they'll be, Competitive, I think they'll get they'll win like seven or eight games uh, this year. I don't think they'll do enough to make the playoffs, but I think they'll compete. Um, and going from two wins to seven or eight is a big jump in the right direction. So it's not enough to make the playoffs, but I think they win a few games they're not supposed to win, um, and they don't lose some of those games where you think they might be favorites and they just falter down the end. And uh, um, there'll be some games they're going to be overpowered just because. You know, they're going to have teams that, you know, just at this point a little bit more developed. But I, I think they make from a two-win team to a seven, eight-win team, I think I think they make a big jump and they, they look competitive, whereas last year there were some times they kind of looked competitive, but there were times where they just looked lost. And I think the difference of just having someone lead on offense, and I, I think Jameis, you know, even though he's coming out of the gate here, but I think by the time they get running, this is a competitive kid that will have some, enough success to help them win games. All right. So, <clears throat> with my pick, I went with the St. Louis Rams. Um, and I chose the St. Louis Rams because I think, you know, if they can figure out their offensive line, and I think everything starts with their offensive line. Defensively, they are a B-plus to A-minus team as, a, as an entire unit defensively. I think offensively they have b B-minus range weapons when you talk about the combination of receivers and and running backs. I think running backs is a strength. Um, I think Nick Foles is a solid option at quarterback. What has me concerned is, one, can they keep him upright? Two, is there going to be any space for Trey Mason and Todd Gurley to get loose? And will Nick Foles have enough time to finally begin to try and utilize the options of Kenny, Kenny Britt's uh, Brian Quick um, and Tavon Austin. You know they have some guys out there who who have some talent and ability, but they have yet to solidify the offensive line. Even though they've taken tons of offensive linemen very high in the draft, um, they haven't been able to find that right core of guys to to keep um, to bring that stability. And the Dallas Cowboys were a, a key example last year of a team with the offensive line came together and made that team 10 times better than they had been 
in the previous uh, renditions of, of, the, of the Cowboys. So I'm looking at the St. Louis Rams. I think they can solve their offensive line issues. And defensively, I think the defense is going to give them enough to be able to make it so that the offense, if the offense is average, they have a shot to win double-digit football games, especially in the NFC West, where I think Seattle will be good, but I don't know if they'll be as good. Uh, Arizona's got some questions to answer, and I think San Francisco is going to take a slight step back in um, Tom Sula's first year as head coach there. So um, next question on the board for the guys as we go through. Uh, the best storyline in the NFC that you guys are interested in uh, finding more about as we go through this uh, early part of the season, uh, let's start with you, D. Wills. Well, it's the story of the season. Chip doesn't like black people. You know, it's it's like <laughs> what's going to happen to the Eagles, right? This 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 crazy storyline and how Chip has been repositioned, you know, based off of Stephen A. Smith's comment, um, and now this whole thing about he don't like brothers, and you know, even though you, when you look at he brought new people in, it's a certain kind of play. Like, is his experiment going to work? I mean, to me, that is the most. Uh, uh, interesting storyline because of the context in which he's been framed in um, and can he be successful. I think that's one that's going to be something that people are going to be watching, um, you know, here as a team that should make a, a run in, uh, in, uh, in their division. Okay. Okay. Uh, D, uh, PhD. And I, I, I like that. I like the, uh, the chip Kelly, cause that, that, that's kind of a whole crazy situation. I, I don't even really know what to make of that. I kind of stay back from making an opinion because, it, you know, it's easy to it's easy to throw stones when you're walking out the door. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes, but then also where there's smoke, there might be a little bit of fire. You know what I'm saying? So it's like what I don't know what to quite make of it. Um, but I want to bring PhD in. PhD, what's your storyline? Does Russell Wilson deserve the contract he just got? Hmm. To me, that is a huge storyline in the NFC for his first two years in the league or first three years in the league. The team has been so successful with him making less than a million dollars per year as a third-round pick, and now he's among, you know, one of the top-paid players in the entire league. Um, Does he deserve it? And if the team struggles, whether it's merited or not, people are going to blame this whole contract issue, being a distraction, and, you know, does he have respect in the locker room? All this stuff that people just make up when they need to write a story. <laughs> you know, it's it's going to come to the forefront if they struggle early. Excellent. I, and I, and I, I agree with you. I think this is a big year for Russell um, to – and I think for that organization um, because – Again, they're kind of at a transition point. They're trying to transition on the fly, right? They they have some older guys, well, not older guys, but younger guys, key players who are coming off of rookie deals who they have to give money to, and they need to start to figure out how to develop some replacements for some of the guys who are going to be coming up in the next year or two who they're not going to keep. Um, and will they be able to do that on the fly without missing a beat is going to be interesting to see. For me, my storyline in NFC uh, going into this year is the development of the young black quarterback in the NFC. And, the, and who's going to take the next step, right? So you got Russell Wilson in that group. Is he going to, again, validate the Seahawks giving him this major contract? 
this big-time money? Is he going to be able to validate that? Is Colin Kaepernick going to regain his form and put himself back on the trajectory where everybody thought within the next three to four years he was going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the league? Um, I don't think today anyone is still thinking that. Does he have, still have that level of talent? Absolutely. But I don't think anyone right now is seeing him on that particular trajectory. Cam Newton, is he going to be the earth-shattering uh, seismic force that he was when he came in as a rookie and destroyed the league and set all these passing records? Um, he has had success. He's gotten his team to the playoffs. Can he take that next step and put his position, team in position to be a Super Bowl contender, a legitimate Super Bowl? Super Bowl contender wire to wire um, in a season. You have Teddy Bridgewater. There are a lot of expectations building for this Vikings team. They saw what Bridgewater was able to do without Adrian Peterson. Um, now they brought in Mike Wallace. Uh, you know, Peterson is back in the fold. They're expecting this team to take a next step, and he's a big part of that. If he can do that, that Vikings team, a lot of people are thinking, may have a shot at finishing in one of the top two spots in the NFC North. And then you got RG3, uh, who was playing for his career. Again, this is another young man who came into the league and dominated right out. Um, but at this point, it's not really, for, all, for a lot of reasons, a lot of it his own doing, some of it the fact that he's played for a lot of different coaches and a lot of different systems, had some injuries. Um, he's trying to regain his form, his swagger, and his ability to just lead as a quarterback, which is, probably the most key thing you got to be able to do. So that's what I'm interested in seeing. Then you also got Jameis Winston who's coming in as a rookie and trying to establish himself and set himself on a positive trajectory um, as far as his career goes. So NFC is a place to be for the black quarterback. <laughs> and I didn't really, you know, I didn't really realize it was until I really looked at it. And other than Geno Smith there were, and, and EJ Manuel, if you, if, you, if you count him as a starter, I don't know if I, I do or don't yet, but those are really the only two guys in the AFC um, repping for the black quarterback. Um, so the NFC is where it's at for the black quarterbacks right now. And it'll be interesting to see how some of these young guys who a couple of years ago we were really high on, now that they're third-year, fourth-year vets, um, seeing can they take that next step, can they continue in their development, or do they stagnate? And now they become a journeyman quarterback, and now they, you know they get let go by their original team, and now they're looking for backup jobs or trying to pick up the pieces of their careers. So we're going to run through and pick the division winners. I'm going to start with PhD. Give me all your division winners. <laughs> oh, here we go. Alabama is not good. Oh, St. Louis, St. Louis. Jamaica's yeah, Jamaica's good. Yeah. Jamaica's very good. <laughs> All right, you just want oh, the NFC goodness. right now, right? Yeah, just the NFC. All right, I'm going Arizona and the West. Tampa Bay in the South. Detroit in the North. And Dallas in the East. I want Dallas. winners. Yep. <laughs> Dallas, Detroit, Tampa Bay, and Arizona. Wow. So you got Jameis putting his team in the playoffs in his first year. Interesting. I Interesting. Do. Okay. So PhD is going on record. Dallas, Detroit, Tampa Bay, and Arizona as the division winners in the NFC. PhD uh, Wills. 
Let's go, division winners. I don't have facts to back this up. Back this up. <laughs> I I got Dallas in the east, Green Bay in the north, New Orleans in the south, and Seattle in the west. Okay. Okay, so you got New Orleans making some noise and getting back in it, and you got Seattle in the west. All right. And you, you got the Packers and the Cowboys. So it seems like the real sports guys so far high on the Cowboys. Uh, for my division winners, I have the Philadelphia Eagles. I think uh, Chip is going to have to, you know, he's going to have to get what, old girl Rachel. Um, he's going to have to get, get the one lady who was pretending to be black to come in and help him do some cultural competency training. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot his locker room struggles. Hey, man, she was having the NAACP, man. She know how to work the angles, man. She know how to work the angles. Rachel Dolezal, however you say her last name. He need to get. He need to bring her in, man. You know, she could teach him how to be how to be a little bit more black. I hate to relate to black people a little bit better. Oh my goodness! I got the Green Bay Packers in the NFC North. Uh, I got the Atlanta Falcons. I think the Falcons are going to figure it out and regain. Uh, some of their swags. Um, I think I think they 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 were I think they were kind of in the place I think Seattle is in right now, where they had a group, and then those guys came of age and started to get signed away, and they weren't able to rebuild on the fly. But I think they've kind of gotten those pieces back and replaced replenished their talent pool. So I think the Falcons are going to be back in it, and in the West, I think the Rams are going to take that division. I think Seattle's going to have a bit of a bumpy season. I think they'll still be good. I don't know if they'll be as good as they were last year. I think the Rams will seize the opportunity um, to slide in. So I got the Rams, the Falcons, the Packers, and the Eagles. So, again, we're putting it on record tonight early. This is our preview. These are our predictions. All right? So let's go with NFC Championship game. Who do you have as your runner-up? PhD. All right, D. Wills, you go. Uh, I got Green oh. Bay as a runner-up. There's going to be a lot of sad people. <laughs> Green Bay is a runner-up. You got Green Bay. There, there will be, man. There, like I said, expectations are high. You listen to the local right. cats in Wisconsin, man. They are talking about Super Bowl. They are not – yeah, they lose in the NFC Championship game, man. It's going to be a bad situation. It's going to be a bad, bad situation. All right, so that's your runner-up. Who is your NFC champion? Uh, Seattle. I mm. think when it comes back. So Seattle's going to a third straight Super Bowl. Yep. Wow. They're pulling the Buffalo wow. Bills on. Wow. Okay. All right. PhD, your runner-up. My runner-up are the Detroit Lions. I think Detroit makes it all the way to, to Championship Sunday. Mm. Mm. You, you know, and I, even though I picked the Packers, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not in disagreement with that possibility. I think that is a, a high probability. Again, you you made a great case when you talked about getting Megatron back, and they were successful last year without him. Um, and we yeah. know when they have him and he's healthy, they are a pretty elite-level offense. And they were around average last year without him. With him, I think they're going to be well above average. And I think defensively they can do enough to make up for 
the losses of Fairley and Sue inside. Um, and I think additionally, it, from a, a morale and a mentality perspective, I think, you know, I think everybody is hoping for a smarter, um, more savvy version of the Detroit Lions instead of the the reckless version that they've gotten in the last couple of years. And I think Sue and Fairley were um, players who were let go in part because they played a major role in creating that recklessness. So I, I, I like that pick. Who's your champ? I think Arizona represents the NFC in the Super Bowl. They looked really good last year until Carson Palmer got hurt. The defense is 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 still very solid. They have great young uh, cornerbacks. They can do a lot of great things on defense. And, um, you know, I think Carson Palmer, uh, if he can stay healthy, if Carson Palmer plays all 16 games, they they win that division. Um, and I think if they win the division, they have a chance to go to the Super Bowl. So they're my Super Bowl um, representative for the NFC East or, or the NFC. Okay. All right. So you got Arizona. D. Wills has got Seattle. Um, in my championship game, I have the uh, runner-up. I'm with you, PH, uh, D. Wills. I have the Green Bay Packers as the runner-up, and I have them losing to Chip Kelly and the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I, people forget that the Eagles had one of the best rushing attacks last year. Um, adding DeMarco Murray in, their offensive line is very solid. Um, I think Sam Bradford finally, I think PAD, you were just a couple years too early. I think Sam Bradford finally, I don't know if he'll be MVP. I don't know if he'll be, I'm not going to say he's going to be MVP, but I think he's going to be healthy and he's going to make it through the entire season and he's going to kind of legitimize himself as being a number one pick. Um, I think they have weapons galore on the outside. I think defensively they'll be solid enough. Um, given what they'll do offensively, and I think they're going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. So there you have it. Right now you got half of our Super Bowl picks right now. Uh, I'm having the Eagles representing the NFC. D. Wills is going with the Seattle Seahawks to represent, and PhD is going with the Arizona Cardinals. We are going to take a very, very short break, and we will be right back, and we're going to talk AFC. Welcome back. Give this to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. We are back. We are brought to you by Resistance Digital Solutions, XL Academics, and all guests and hosts appear via the Fetches Accounting Gateway. All right, fellas. We ran through the NFC. All right. We're at a point where we got our, our Super Bowl picks. I got the Eagles coming out of the NFC. 
D. Wills has gotten the Seattle Seahawks, and Ph.D. has the Arizona Cardinals coming out the NFC. Let's talk about the AFC. Which team will make the biggest jump in the AFC from non-contender to legitimate contender or from non-playoff team to playoff team? Ph.D., go. Miami. Miami Dolphins. I've been getting uh, Sue and Tannehill, man. Tannehill is on the cusp of being a top-ten quarterback. Um, their running back situation was really, really iffy throughout the season because Moreno got hurt after a really solid first game. He got hurt for the rest of the season for the most part. Um, I see Miami winning this division um, and really being the surprise of football. Okay. We got the Miami Dolphins coming through. Um, and I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think things are playing out pretty well. Buffalo is in a state of flux. Quarterback situation is up in the air. Same thing with the New York Jets. And then, you know, you got New England still dealing with this whole uh, deflated football situation. I, things are lining up for them to be – they're the most stable team right now going into this season, which I think is a good place to be in that particular division. Uh, D. Wills likely to make the biggest jump in the AFC. And, and and it's the same way that I, I did it for the NFC. I think this team, and, and they could be sneaky, um, is uh, the Raiders. And I've never said this, but I haven't said about the Raiders in a lot long. Whoa! But I, Whoa. but I, I haven't said this. I haven't said this in a while. But I think they found a quarterback. Um, and I think that. Uh, when you watch them play last year, they, I mean, they, they competed. And, and it's interesting that that Western division is going to be interesting because you look at it on the surface, you're like, well, man, they're going to just get crushed. But each of those teams have an issue, whether it's San Diego, Kansas City, um, or even Denver, um, as you go through. They all got something. And, but the Raiders were, you know, they, they competed. And it's going to be interesting to how I, I think – um, I, you know, again, I think they're going to be a lot like Tampa Bay in the sense that I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they're going to compete at a level that tells you they're going in the right direction. Um, that's going to be a significant jump. It's not going to be – you're going to feel like you're not looking at, you know, the Raiders under Al Davis towards the end of his, his time with us here on earth that, that they're beginning to turn the corner. And I think a good indication of that is, you know, the selection of Carr and how they helped him develop and how they're developing their talent is, is something that surprised me. I, I went out on a limb on this one, so this is out on a limb. Um, oh, yeah, you did. A fan. Um, but but I, I, feel, I feel there's always a team that comes out of nowhere that at the beginning of the year you just say, ain't no way in the world. But something clicks. And for some reason I'm feeling like the, the Raiders are going to turn that corner. Okay. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to go. Go. <laughs> hey, hey, this is a prediction, right? This is a prediction. We'll see. I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with you, but it is what it is. You predicting? I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I think the Chiefs go from being a middle of the road team to a team that is probably going to win their division. Um, defensively, they have been solid, and I think they will continue to be solid. Getting Eric Berry back with his battle with lymphoma cancer. Um, he is back. Um, I think that's going to be something that is an inspiration for that team and is, is going to be a story that drives that team to success this year. Um, Andy Reid is a great regular season coach. I think he's going to do a great job <laughs> getting them. 
getting them into the playoffs um, and then losing. Uh, But I think they're going to be nice during the regular season. Um, Adding Jeremy Macklin, I think they finally get a legitimate guy on the outside who can can, uh, stretch the defense, get open, win one-on-one battles. Um, I think – and Jamal Charles is going to do what he does. Um, So I think the Broncos are taking a step back. The Raiders are not there yet. I do I do agree with you that they have some pieces and they seem to have um be going in the right direction, but they're not there yet. And I think San Diego will be solid, but I don't think they will be as good as Kansas City. Um so that's the team I think will will take a jump. So we got uh the Dolphins, uh the Raiders and the Chiefs all taking jumps this year. Uh fellas we're gonna announce our uh Favorite storylines in the AFC um, for this for this upcoming uh, season. So, D. Wills, start with you. Storylines that you you're gonna be following. I'm calling this one "Days of Our Lives." The AFC <laughs> East is just gonna be one big story. You got Geno getting sucker punched at Jets. Jets got a whole set of issues. You got the Flake Gate in New England. You got you got Rex and all his issues. He's trying to you know what he brings to the table. In fact, the funny thing about it is the team that w- and that had the biggest image problem, Miami, looks like they got their stuff together. And so that whole AFC kind of East is going to be a storyline because there's so many characters, so many uh, subplots in that space, and it's going to be combustible. Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm, I, I like that pick. I like that pick, and I think you raised some good points. Um, you know, the Dolphins are hot off of the whole Richie Incognito grown man bullying situation, and they look like the ones that got the act together. <laughs> That's a great point, man. That's a great point. He's a grown man Oh, I'm I'm ditto with D Wills. I'm ditto with D D Wills. He covered it well. All right, all right. So you're going AFC East as well. Uh, yeah, you know the Jets got people punching people in the locker room over six hundred dollars. Six hundred dollars. Right. We talking about practice. Hey, hey, and the dude that punched him, the line, the the rookie fifth round pick linebacker that punched him, dog, you finna punch the starting quarterback. You is, is your career worth this six hundred bucks? You can't wait this out. It's not. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was it ur- was it that urgent where he had to have the money right then? I mean, it's not <laughs> like y'all not going to see each other all season. <laughs> so I I don't know. The Jets are the Jets, and they're always a mess. The thing that I'm interested to see in the AFC is the battle within the AFC North. You have the Cincinnati Bengals, who I think everybody in that organization is on notice, from Andy Dalton to Marvin Lewis. They're all kind of it's, – it's put up or shut up. Um, you got the Baltimore Ravens, who just seem to keep being good. They just seem to keep figuring it out. You know, Ozzie Newsom's a great GM, always finds talent. Um, you got the Cleveland Browns that are starting to get their act together. They still have to figure out what's going to happen with the quarterback position, but they have some pieces in place at other spots, and they were very competitive last year and will have another opportunity to be competitive this year. Then you got the Pittsburgh Steelers, 
who I think are going to play a very different brand of football than we've seen the Pittsburgh Steelers play ever. Um, they have so many weapons offensively. Um, Big Ben seems to be at a very interesting place in his career. Um, he seems to be more settled, more mature, just kind of more locked into what his role is. Um, you got Antonio Brown coming off one of the best receiving years by wide receiver in a long time. Uh, Marcavius Bryant seems to be a burgeoning superstar in the making. Le'Veon Bell is a beast. Uh, you got Phil T's favorite player joining the mix. D'Angelo Williams is the backup. <laughs> they have a lot of interesting pieces. And I think offensively, for the first time in a long time, we're going to see the offense carry the load and the offense be the identity of the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm interested to see how that division plays out. Now, division winners. Let's start with you, PhD. Give us your division winners. I know you're in on the Dolphins in the AFC East. Where are you at with the other divisions? I like Denver in the West. I like Indianapolis in the South. I like Pittsburgh in the North. So I'm pretty much going chalk there. Okay. All right. PhD. I mean, D. Wills, what you got? Uh, New England in the East, uh, Indy in the South, Pittsburgh in the North. San Diego in the West. Okay. All right. So you got Indy in the South. All right. Miami in the East. Okay. 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 Right, I'm going uh, New England in the East. Go ahead. I'll say you knew, you said oh. New England in the East. So you got you got New England recovering. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, the thing. worst thing that could have happened to people is the flake gate. Now they mad. <laughs> mm. <laughs> okay. Okay, I see. I see the line of thinking there. I'm going with Miami. I think, you know, I think Tannehill puts it together. Um, I like the receiving core that he has. To I think they've given him weapons to work with on the outside. I think defensively they still have some questions to answer, but I think the pieces are in place for them to be able to take advantage of, of things that fall into place. Other teams are in a bit of disarray. I think they can take advantage. Um, I got Pittsburgh in the north, um, in the south. I'm going with the Texans. Mallet is going to emerge as the quarterback of the Texans. I think he's going to have a solid enough of a year to put them in position where their defense can win games for them. And I think their defense will win games, even though, you know, J.J. Watt seems to be a bit fugazi um, doing a sunset workout on hard knocks. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the West. Right, right. <laughs> then, then in the West, I got the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, I think Andy Reid will do a great job with them during the regular season and figure some way to mess it up in the playoffs. That's just what he does. You know, it's like those Geico commercials. <laughs> when you're Andy Reid, you win 12 regular season games and lose in the first round of the playoffs. That's just what you do. <laughs> so that's how I see that playing out. We're at the point where we want to – Give our uh, our uh, championship game participants now. We'll start with you, PAZ. Give me your runner-up, and then give me your champ. Um, for the AFC, AFC runner-up and champ. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that twice Devon has had a chance to go in. Like you have tossed up Andy Reid. Shot and Devon has Devon has withheld and like you know I hear him like I thought he was in the bathroom he was like mm, mm, but he didn't say anything 
I'll do so I like to say I'm proud of you, Devon, for not taking the shot at Andy Reid. Um, for right for the AFC, I'm gonna say um, New England and Denver, and I choose New England to go to the Super Bowl again. I believe that New England will win every game on the road um, in their playoff run. They're going to be a five or six seed. Mm, out of spite. <laughs> you know it's going to be the most spiteful playoff run ever. <laughs> They're going to be talking about balls the whole way. <laughs> every press conference. <laughs> I can see Bill Belichick right. getting up there after winning a road playoff game being like, ball so fine. <laughs> and just walking off. <laughs> <laughs> balls had enough air in them. You know, we let the other team inspect them. You know, what can we say? The balls are fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, all right. So you got the Patriots as your representative in the Super Bowl against the Arizona Cardinals. All right. So that we got that on yes. wax. Now, D. Wills, your runner-up and your champ, AFC. My runner-up is Indy, and New England is the champ. Mm. Rock is going to be so you popping got New England. champagne. You got New England. So we got New England in it. So you got a repeat Super Bowl. You got yes. Seattle and New England part two in Super Bowl 50. All right? Yes. All right. <laughs> that's, that's the thing, doesn't it? Hey, hey! All right. So for me, for my, I have the Miami Dolphins. I think they will have a favorable draw. I think we'll see a Luck Tannehill showdown, and Tannehill will take down Andrew Luck. And on the other side, I think we will see. The Chiefs run into the Steelers. I think the Steelers will win that game. And I think the Steelers will be the AFC champion. So I got the Steelers and the Eagles. Pennsylvania, a turnpike Super Bowl. Wow. So we got the Eagles. I got the Eagles versus the Steelers in the Super Bowl. PhD, you have the Cardinals versus the Patriots. And D. Wills, you have the Seattle Seahawks. Versus the Patriots. All right. Now we are going to put it on wax as we close out this edition of the Real Sports Guys. You're listening to the Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com, RSG Renegade Radio. We are going to come back. Uh, we're going to take a really, really short break. We're going to come back and we are going to close out the show with our Super Bowl picks. We're going to put it on wax, break it down, and forever let it be broke. Our Super Bowl picks for the season of 2015-16 will be coming up shortly after this short break.
Welcome back to Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com. RSC Renegade Radio, we are about to put it on wax with our 2015-16 Super Bowl picks. Right now, PhD has the Arizona Cardinals, led by Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald, taking on the New England Patriots uh, in the Super Bowl. He Wills has the uh, rematch, Seahawks versus Patriots 2. He has the Seattle Seahawks facing off against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. And I have my Turnpike Super Bowl. The Philadelphia Eagles, Chip Kelly and Rachel Dolezal, are going to come together, work things out with the locker room, going against Pitt, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the high-flying Pittsburgh Steelers. We're going to get Air Tomlin in the house, and we're going to have the the Steelers and the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Fellas, it's time to put it on wax. Who are your Super Bowl champions for 2015-16? D. Wills, I will start with you. Well, Seattle, New England, rematch, different outcome. It's going to be the Seattle Seahawks, and they go to Skittles. They go to Skittles, steal the field this time around, <laughs> highly motivated, <laughs> highly getting after it, and they end it with okay, some Skittles okay. on the field. All right, all right. So the Seahawks will redeem themselves and defeat the New England Pages in the Super Bowl as predicted by D. Wills. PhD, who will win the Super Bowl based upon your prediction? Well, first, I'd like to just say, um, Marcus, I hope you're doing well. Um, I saw the news about Greg Oden going to sign to play in China. <laughs> um, and just wanted to make sure you were doing okay with that information. Um <laughs> Hey, you know I gave you consideration on my Portland Trailblazers all-time team. <laughs> you did. You did. You did. I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, so this is a tough one, but I'm going to go with the Patriots. I think the Patriots win. I really wanted to find a way to predict that the Broncos win. Um, but I, I can't do it. I'm going with the Patriots over the Cardinals. Mm. Mm. Patriots over the Cardinals. Wow. Patriots go back to back, cementing Brady as one of the best ever. It has to, right? It has to. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this would be number six, right? He would be starting on the on the right hand. You know, he's going from left hand to right. right. Is this number six? It'd be five. Yeah. But that puts my head in my ground, right? Nobody has anybody ever gotten five. Nobody's got five, right? Montana's got four. Who does Montana have? I think he's got four. Yeah. And Bradshaw's got four. Yep. Yeah. Five, I think, puts him at the top of the mountain. Yeah. Interesting. All right. As predicted by my man, Phil T. Sports PhD, I am going to go with Mike Tomlin and the Pittsburgh Steelers win the Super yeah. Bowl. Um, Tomlin gets his second for one. Tomlin gets his second one. Yes. Dropping the mic. Boom. Sexual chocolate. <laughs> I'm actually cheering for you. Hey, I know you are. I know you are. I, I didn't so want to those pick. Those are our picks. Those are our Super Bowl picks. We're putting it on wax. I'm going Pittsburgh Steelers. D. Wills is going Seattle Seahawks. And PhD is going New England Patriots. Tom Brady gets his fifth Super Bowl, and that's the word 
from the Real Sports Guys. As we close out this show, I'd like to preview. Be on the lookout for the Real Sports Guys. We have put together franchise starting sixes for all 30 NBA franchise teams. We've done it in a very different way. We're not just taking the best players. We're trying to put together the best six players. Given today's rules and the way the game is played today, which six players will be form the best team from each franchise? So be on the lookout for that. We're going to be releasing that over the next couple of weeks. Next time, we'll, next time you hear from us, we'll be talking a little bit of college football as we get prepared for the start of the college football season. Uh, we're going to keep it rolling the way the Real Sports Guys do. Thank you for checking out the podcast. Make sure you download that, realsportsguys.com, blog talk radio. Uh, fellas, any parting shots, last words before we get out of here? D. Will. Hey, hey, cop that, cop that album. The intro is sick. It puts it all in the context. All right. PhD. Football season is only a few weeks away. And, of course, I'm getting ready for another run of fantasy football. All right. Yeah, fantasy football is about to jump off. We will have to get the Keizu guru in the house to give you all your, your the lowdown on your, your two-quarterback league, your IDP league, those sleepers. Um, those late round guys, the undrafted guys, he, it's, it's gotten so much information out there that you almost have to look at un, guys who are going to go undrafted. Like everybody knows the sleepers now because people start looking at sleepers in April. You know, the draft happens and guys are looking at sleepers already. You almost got to go, who's going to be undrafted? You know, when you look at last year, guys like Odell Beckham Jr., you heard about those guys from the KZU guru. He gave you those names. He'll give you the people you need, so make sure you check them out. Uh, fantasy football cypher be back in full effect at some point so we'll be dropping those so be on the lookout for that uh we just gonna keep it rolling you know we're gonna get it rolling get the machine humming and get this thing jamming as we go into the fall season nfl season college football season and then right in the nba and before you know it the real sports guys are gonna be back jamming on the ones and the twos all over the, the blog talk airwaves so, fellas, great show tonight. Glad to be in the mix. Great conversation about straight out of straight out of Compton. Uh, just a lot of fun, man. Again, we like to think of ourselves as, as pioneers in trying to do this um, and trying to take sports radio in a different direction. Um, that movie gave me a lot of inspiration, man. It gave me a lot of inspiration for the different things that I have going on in my life to just kind of keep doing what you do, watching those guys grind and, and work to perfect their craft and, and what they were good at, it, it was it was very inspiring. Um, so I, I appreciate the inspiration you guys give me to keep doing what I do. And and I hope I inspire you guys as well. So uh, all the listeners out there, my fellow renegades, till next time, peace.